before we start the show, I wanted to let you know about a limited opportunity. The doors are open to our online community. Where we're helping clinicians get confidence and success when dealing with the complexity of pain we see in practice. We have Brownie Thompson, Mike Stewart, and myself helping clinicians get the training they need to get comfortable managing pain well. You get live events, workshops, peer support, and direct feedback on your practice and your unique struggles. You can visit the community on your computer or on the go on your smartphone. The doors are closing on May 8th, so make sure you check out modernpainpro.com for all the details and to start transforming your practice today. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? This is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and founder here at Modern Pain Care, back at you with another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with my faithful co-host, Jared Hall. Today, we're going to talk about another reflective thing that Jared experienced in clinic. I think we um, helpful for you to see some of the things we see in clinic because we're still seeing patients and Jared's still on the front lines, not not as much and doing a little bit of management. He he's been called onto the front lines more and more these days with COVID and 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 pinch hitting a lot more than uh, maybe he expected, but uh, that's definitely been part of the COVID deal that uh, you know a lot of us have had to deal with. But um, let's let's get Jared in here and just uh, see how he's doing, and then we'll have him lay the groundwork of what he experienced in the clinic because I think it'll be helpful for everybody to to kind of hear this lovely story. How are you doing, Jared? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I, uh, I'm looking forward to talking about this topic because, uh, I think it hits pretty close to home. I think, um, uh, I have probably been the therapist that we're going to reference in, uh, this episode more than a handful of times. And I was lucky enough this time to not be the quote unquote, that therapist, but hear a patient talk about that therapist and uh, it just it stuck with me that it's probably something that we should talk about because I've been guilty of it. I'm sure a lot of people are guilty of it. And to get a patient's perspective, to get some of that uh, that actual, you know, uh, qualitative data in an anecdotal setting in the clinic was it, it, it struck me. It really stood out. Yeah, no, I, I, as you kind of laid a little bit of the story out before we uh, started recording this, it's, I definitely reflected back to like, yep, been there, been there, done that. And I've, we, I try to share stories on courses of some people I paint science where it went crazy wrong. And, you know, you, sometimes you get this new shiny tool and it's like, oh my God, I can't wait to just like change the world with this new, new shiny thing, which was paint science. And, um, uh, you know, I've had a gentleman with, were competent and different things where I immediately gravitated towards that instead of, you know, getting to the, the, the you know, very tissue f- issue uh, thing that he was dealing with that, uh, you know, really seemed to change his pain quite dramatically instead of me trying to explain away how his stress and his workplace type things. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, why don't you share a little bit of the the story of the, of the patient, just so the folks listening can kind of get a little bit of background and then we'll maybe chat about uh, how to avoid this in the clinic um, if for you going forward. Yeah, so um, I'm going to go ahead and give an explicit language warning because I'm going to give some direct quotes from the patient. And, and there was uh, there was some colorful language thrown around. But the, the backstory is I was filling in the other day in, in one of our clinics uh, for a guy who was out sick. And uh, one of the patients that I saw on his schedule was this really interesting dude who had a history of 
severe uh, high frequency chronic migraine headaches. So this guy had had a history of, um, you know, 22 plus monthly migraines for years and years and years and years and years. It got to the point where it was debilitating. Um, it actually ended up, uh, causing the end to this guy's marriage is what he, what he told me. Um, and he subsequently went, uh, through a procedure to actually cut away a lot of his suboccipital nerves um, because they determined after he, he had he had tried 52 different migraine medications. He had bought, you know, experimental um, electromagnetic wave devices from Italy and, and things like this to try to control his symptoms. This dude's tried everything. He's been everywhere. He's taken every medication. He's done every uh, gizmo and gadget that you could possibly do. He just can't get rid of these migraines. So finally, he undergoes this procedure to denervate his suboccipitals. And <clears throat> he goes from 22 migraines a month to two migraines a month. And I was like, man, that sounds great. That sounds like it was really successful for you. He's like, yeah, it was the best thing I've ever done. You know, there's I have difficulty with balance and I have difficulty with head positioning and stuff now. But I'll take that all day long over the migraines that I was having, you know. And when we were going through this discussion and I was asking him about all of the different stuff that he had tried, he's like, yeah, you know, I went to, you know, I've been to some physical therapists and, you know, uh, some of them are good and some of them are bad. And, you know, I, I, I know my way around the medical world. And um, when I was going through this process, I still remember I, I had this neurologist referred me to this one physical therapist. He said he's the best in town. He he does migraines you know, specifically, he sees a ton of people with migraines. You need to go see this guy. Um, so the patient was like, yeah, so I went and saw this guy and he looked me right in the, he looked me right in the eye and told me that I was just willing my migraines into existence. He said that I had come to expect my migraines. And at this point, I just, I was just willing my migraines into existence. And I woke up every day expecting a migraine. So because I expected that migraine, I made it happen. And he told me it was, most of it was just all in my head. And, uh, then the guy says, that motherfucker, does he think that I wake up every day and just want to have fucking debilitating pain and ruin my marriage and go through hell and just not want it to go away? I wouldn't wish my, these migraine headaches on anybody. I didn't fucking will those into existence. I didn't want these migraine headaches. He's like, but I humored him. I went through the six visits that my neurologist wanted me to go through. I tried to do all of his stupid meditation and mindfulness stuff. And I, I, I tried to, you know, buy in. But when this guy's looking at me in the face, telling me that he thinks my migraines are made up or I'm just willing to them, them into existence. Well, then, you know, that, that sounded like a bunch of bullshit to me. And I was just like, oh, OK. This is interesting perspective. Um, the first thing that came to my mind was. Uh, yeah, odds are this therapist probably didn't directly say that. Hopefully they didn't say that anyway. They, they might have said that, but hopefully they didn't say, you know, you're just this is in your head. You're willing these migraines into existence. Um, but then the second thing that popped into my head was that's what the patient heard. And the therapist didn't recognize that that was what the patient heard. And it sounds like that therapist was trying to quote unquote, pain science, this guy. And I immediately recognize that I've been that therapist before. 
I've been that person who misspoke and misunderstood or tried to over aggressively explain and shove pain related information down somebody's throat who wasn't ready to hear it, wasn't open to hearing it, or I did it in a really bad way that just like way overswung the pendulum. And having that qualitative data from that patient made me realize there's some patients walking around. There's some people walking around who think that about me based on the way that I've interacted in the past. And, and that, that really stinks. And uh, it's hard and it's frustrating. And to me, it raised the importance of being aware of over pain sciencing people or trying to pain science people, you know, that this misunderstanding that pain science is this intervention that you can do at people. Uh, so it just really stood out to me that, you know, we have a very high risk of um, really sending some poor messages to people and burning, you know, burning bridges and, and reducing their, their desire to engage in the rehab process with some of this language. What do you think about all that, Mark? Oh, uh, I think a lot of things about it, but yeah, no, it's, it is definitely something again, reflecting back, I, I can bring up multiple episodes or probably people that I think, yeah, they probably don't care for me as a human, let alone clinician, just because, and again, I, we don't know the intentions of the clinician and how the conversation truly went, but we also, obviously the only thing we truly know is how the patient heard and perceived that. So it may have been best efforts and I'm sure the clinician had no intent of peeving off the patient as much as he did. But, um, I think some things, um, you know, that may, cause yeah, there's this whole discussion of like hypervigilance and like hypersensory awareness type things and how that can increase and decrease sensory thresholds and different things around that. And, uh, I've, it's been a while since I've dug into migraine literature, but I want to say there's some things about, you know, some of the hypervigilance and, um, I know I'm just, I just pulled up an article while you were chatting there. Pain hypervigilance is associated with greater clinical pain severity and enhanced experimental pain sensitivity among people with symptomatic knee arthritis. So, I mean, this obviously we can't say this is a migraine related thing, but so I think there's maybe some credence, but again, when patients live a narrative where every day is debilitating and, um, you know, can some of the sensory awareness and I mean, what reason would somebody have not to go look for their migraine when they wake up in the morning? I, I, so, I mean, I can't, I'm not by any means saying this guy was willing his migraines into existence, but when you've gone through a horrible story, like some of these folks have gone through, um, I got to imagine some of the attention, vigilance pathways uh, and awareness. And again, this is speculative. I'm not by any means saying that there's hardwired research, but it makes sense to me. And it biologically seems plausible that there could be a degree of being hyper aware. And then also with all the context that surrounds, especially that gentleman, I lost my marriage the four walls he lives in all day, just a reminders of everything that's been gone wrong with this migraine. So I got to imagine that just, you know, and this, that's the, always the interesting thing to me about where, you know, I, I'll see patients. This is a little bit of a segue, I guess, but um, you know, they go on vacation and all of a sudden their symptom behavior dramatically changes because they're in this context away from the four walls of lost marriage, all these different things. And they're focusing on enjoying a vacation or they're getting out of the context where life kind of sucks, you know, to be honest with them or with you, which I'm sure most patients would agree with. So, I mean, I can see, you know, just to kind of bring this back, I can see how that might be something worth discussing. That is a very sensitive topic to bring up to a patient of how, 
awareness of, of body parts can in, increase our sensitivity in those body parts. And I think there's analogies and even clinical experiments and things that you can do as far as like, you know, teaching people how, you know, you know, and then just validating their experience. I think maybe this is where I think the missing piece was. It sounds like to me, it's like, man, this sounds like you've been through some horrible shit with this. And when people swear at me, I swear back just because I want to match um, their, their thing. But and I'm sorry you've gone through this, man. I can't even imagine you what you've been going through with this. But, uh, you know, and I'll even tell people when I start getting into that type of discussion, when I see like they are living a life where every moment and I'll, I just ask them, like, how often are you thinking about your pain? And some people are constantly, which, you know, and then we just have some discussions of like, you know, before this, how much do you think about it? All these things and how we can do things to bring awareness to body parts that you weren't feeling till I told you to feel it. And, um, and, but also saying, I want you to, by no means, I have often said this to patients where I want you to, by, by no means, don't hear me telling you that you're creating this. I know for a fact, you would want nothing to do with this pain if you had your choice, but just hear that maybe some of our, how we are pay attention to it, how we're aware of it and our relationship with that pain can be something that fuels a little bit of the problem a little bit, but that's a delicate, and I've failed in that conversation. I'm, I don't know if I've had that exact experience. I'm probably would say there's been patients who've, yeah, this dude's telling me I'm thinking about my pain too long. But again, we have a healthcare system that puts people in that freaking pain is the fifth vital sign. You're to pay attention. You're zero to 10 constantly. That's the, the, the mark of your success in this world of pain is what your stupid freaking NRPS number is. So why wouldn't we, we put people, we set people up to be, that's their whole from morning till night there. And some people, you know, I'm not saying journaling is horrible, but I think in certain contexts, it just fuels that awareness of like, you know, never getting out of the context that could give them a different context to have as so maybe emerge a different behavior of their system. And, the, you know, but that's, I guess, a long drawn out response to my thoughts on it. But um, I think there's validity to having those discussions. I think it's a very delicate, you know, discussion to have and you need to tread very lightly in it. And make sure you're doing a hell of a lot of validating of what that patient's gone through in the shitty story and make sure you kind of give them a, a disclaimer of don't hear me say this because this isn't what I'm attending um, before you put it, put it out there to the patient. I, I don't know. What's your thoughts on that, Jared? No, I, I mean, I, I definitely agree with everything that you, you brought up and that hypervigilance we have some data that hypervigilance can definitely, you know, potentially increase maybe the frequency or severity of pain and that sort of thing. But I think what maybe I want to make sure that we don't lose is that there are still real biological drivers to a lot of this. And maybe sometimes we don't explain that well enough to patients that your your thoughts and uh, your emotions and your beliefs about something, it's not just that it's all in your head. It's that those things actually change the way that your body functions, right? They have an influence on your physiology. They have, a, they have an influence on circulating uh, neurotransmitters and, and hormones. And they have an influence on, uh, you know, the the degree to which the nervous system responds to certain things. And I think that maybe with the, with this particular person, like this guy needed to have validation that he had something going on in his body that was giving rise to this. I think you have to recognize that. And if we look at 
um, you know, chronic migraine headache falls into the chronic overlapping pain conditions, you know, grouping, right? Where we think there's probably some underlying genetic changes that give rise to different receptor site expressions, which, you know, give rise to different, you know, uh, physiologic environments, which give rise to different uh, psychological, social, and biological, and you know, manifestations. It, it, this person probably did have something. Probably does have something going on uh, underlying that is maybe biologically driven, it, or it started the cascade. And then that hypervigilance and that that um, you know that cyclical, um, over reflective hyper focus on the pain and the expectation of migraines. Maybe that does increase the frequency. Maybe that does increase the intensity, but we really run the risk of losing people and invalidating them. If we don't at least recognize that there could be some, some biology that is playing a role that uh, is going on in their body that, you know, it isn't their fault. Right. Because if you just say, well, you're thinking about this, you're willing your migraines into existence, you're basically in a way telling somebody that they are at fault for what it is that they're dealing with. And I don't you know, I don't think that people want to hear that. I think that people want to hear that they have a a real underlying you know, contributor or cause to something that maybe they're doing some things that are making worse. And then we give the tool, them the tools to, to maybe help manage that better or gradually work into not adding fuel to the fire. Right. So I, I don't know, and I don't think we as a medical community know enough about, you know, chronic migraines and all the different variants of those to, know when or when there is not various different biological contributors. So if we just try to talk somebody out of migraines, I think we're probably going to fail the vast majority of the time. Yeah. Totally agree with your, your take there. I, yeah. I, I, that's where like, we want to have the certainty of like, well, it's 20% biological or like tissue related and it's 80% central sensitivity that's being driven by maladaptive thoughts and behaviors and, and, and these type of things we don't know. And that's where I think things like, you know, what we teach with the vector model of Matt load and things of like, just trying to like line things up and part of that being biology. And, um, but I mean, you can, if you're know, getting the ability to, to teach people how our biology is affected by our neurology and our thoughts and our experiences. And when life gets small, like it does for folks with migraines, when our, our, marriage leaves our social circle leaves and and all these things i think you can strategically and gently start introducing things to where you know life has become your migraine you know as far as like you know and, and it sucks and i'm sorry that you're going through that but let's see if we can start sprinkling in some other things um that can maybe break the pattern and and, and kind of break the, but again the guy had his occipital procedure pretty pretty significant procedure when you're starting to snip nerves and make things numb, but hard to argue with the results there. I mean, truly, I mean, we can argue, you know, the mechanisms of those results. I don't, I mean, the patient doesn't give a shit. He's happy as a clam that he's got one migraine or whatever you said a month compared to 25. That's a massively successful procedure for him. Um, so, I mean, again, I think the more you can just validate where people are at and what they're saying to you and make sure that they're, are you, do you understand what I'm saying? Does this make sense? I, I don't want you to think that I'm telling you that you're thinking this up. This is crap, but it's hard when life has become so small to have any other sensory 
experiences outside of, you know, being very just pumping into this pathway that, you know, and we can talk about meningeal and vascular con- contributions and get all nerdy with people. Um, and then say, this is real biological stuff that you're having, but it's just your nervous system. That's, you know, influenced by this shitty experience you've had is going to influence those things. Like you can't take the brain and body and put it in two different or your, your, your mind and body and put them in two different buckets. Like medicine, biomedicine still tries to do with people. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's a, a, a good discussion um, for, for clinicians to just kind of be wary of it. And I, as you mentioned, and I mentioned, we've all done this to patients, um, not intentionally, but um, when you're starting to have these discussions, just really, again, I said it already, but making sure you're validating the hell out of your patients and what they've experienced and making sure that you're given an empathetic ear. You don't, you haven't lived in their, their shoes and know what the hell they've gone through, but you're going to try your best to understand it. And you're sure as hell going to try to validate that, man, this sounds like it's been horrible. I can't even imagine going through that. Just those type of statements allow you some maybe room to say, Hey, would you be open to us discussing some of the things in this vector model? And part of it should be biology. Cause if you just jump to the, um, you know, pain science central sensitivity, cognitive components of it, which can be valid components, not saying they're not. It's just obviously when you jump there without the patient understanding that you're still keeping a very keen eye on biology, biological, like tissue-based components, then you can lose some folks, um, which obviously that gentleman could get out of that clinic fast enough, as he had said. So what else would you mention recommend to folks who are trying to figure out where does this whole pain science thing fit, not even just with migraines, but maybe across clinical populations? Man, um, I think first and foremost, the biggest thing that you can do is already what you said is, is, is validate that you believe people and that they have real, you know, you believe that they have real things going on. You believe that their pain is real and uh, you believe that their situation has been tough and it's hard and it's difficult to deal with. Validation is incredibly important. But then next in line is when you do decide to offer some information, it and you need to have permission to do so. You need to, you know, go, go into a conversation where that person has given you the right to provide them with some more information. You've asked for that permission. They've, they said it's okay. And then you wade in slowly and, you know, you ask for feedback and you ask, how is that going before you just jump up uh, behind your podium and give somebody a, a full curriculum on pain, right? That's, um, I've said this a, a thousand times. That's my that's my biggest concern with things. A lot of the a lot of the institutions that teach pain science or pain neuroscience type stuff is it, it, I worry that it's over curricular in nature and over um, you know over educational or like over like luxury in nature. And I understand that while that is we we teach people we teach clinicians things in that way those clinicians are coming to us to learn those things. So they've already given us permission to tell those things to them, right? To expose them to all these ideas, to give them all of this other pain science information. But patients haven't necessarily uh, given us permission to give them some of that information. If we start, if we start like lecturing at people, like nine out of 10 times is probably going to go wrong. Uh, So I think that there needs to be a component added to a lot of the the coursework that teaches pain science type stuff that you can't just, you know, curriculum your your patients most of the time. Yeah. Being situationally aware and 
unique humanly aware of what, where that person's at and, you know, casting out some questions to, to just see where they're at with discussing some of that stuff. And it may not be visit one, two, three, um, uh, you know, it could be a, and you can sprinkle that stuff in more strategically naturally within conversation versus like this curricular. I agree. I'm not a fan of just like sit down and, and let's lecture you. Um, on pain. Maybe if you're in a pain group where it's a formal part of their true curriculum for like a pain program, I I can see that, but I don't see it um, being an effective uh, mode in a good chunk of uh, instances when it comes down to just day-to-day one-on-one clinical practice. I just think um, there's more nuanced interwoven ways we can do it and strategically and when the patient's ready and where they're at in the readiness to, to hear that thing and being, getting that explicitly on the table. I completely agree. All right. Well, uh, another good story and appreciate you sharing that with us, Jared. Um, hopefully you guys who are listening, uh, glean some benefits from that. And if you've pain explained somebody, if you've, if you've had that experience in clinic, I'd love to hear the comments in uh, our Instagram feed or our Facebook feed, just to kind of raise your hand or, you know, let us know a little bit about what you've done or if it's, if it's been something you've experienced, maybe you yourself or had patients coming in, um, from again, we're not by any means saying that this clinician's a black clinician because Jared and I've both been that clinician, I'm sure. Um, but you know, I think even the most well-intended, you know, treatments can be perceived very negatively, um, if you don't really contextualize it uniquely to the person in front of you. So, um, yeah, make sure you hit us up on social media. Um, you will, we will be again on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, modern pain care. If you want to check out uh, a, a video component of our podcast, you're more than welcome to check that out. And we'd love to hear you like, and subscribe to that channel just so we can start bumping up our viewers and helping get this information out to the more of the masses, the more people that subscribe, the more people that YouTube pushes to the old algorithm. So we'd, we'd love to see that you guys do that, but any other parting shots you have for folks today, Jared? No, I, th- I think we're good. Uh, just, uh, until next time, you know? Yeah. Until next time, you guys have a good rest of your day. We'll see you next week. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.